I think the biggest thing that you've got to do early doors is respect the cultural differences quite quickly. You know, so just because it is very different to what you did in one code doesn't make it right or wrong. And I certainly didn't want to try and transplant my program from the bears into the crows system. And there were things that we did bring in, you know, then that was partly why you got bored to the role was to bring a little bit of variety as well. But I mean, probably, I mean, one of the biggest differences in footy to rugby, say, for instance, is, you know, in rugby, there's a, the, both sports have a big, you know, mass strength power demand. But the priority of that is probably slightly different across both sports. You know, rugby, you can lose a game because you're not physical enough, regardless how skillful and how good you're running this. And then footy, you can lose a game because you can't run and keep up a plate well enough, regardless how physical and strong you are, you know. So, and the schedules are shifted slightly differently to reflect that. Hello and welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Make sure if you haven't already to subscribe to my YouTube channel to receive a notification and never miss a live interview. I hope you enjoyed this interview and please share with a friend or a teammate that you think will value this episode. Let's go. And welcome back to the High Performance Podcast for AFL staff and athletes. My name is Jack McCleat. I'm your host and today my guest is Sam Dodge who currently works at the Adelaide Crows Football Club as Head of Strength and Power. And our key topic for today's chat will be exactly that, talk about how to adapt your strength and conditioning to, uh, from, rugby, from rugby sorry to Australian rules football, so the different demands of the sport, but also perhaps looking at the similarities and crossover as well. So really looking forward to this chat. It's not a topic that we've uh, hosted before, so make sure if you are tuning in live to send in your questions, then no doubt, Sam will be happy to answer them a little bit later on on the show. But welcome, Sam. Thanks for jumping on, mate, and, and good to see you again. Yeah, cheers. I'm very looking forward to this. It was last time we caught up was at the Jonas Dodo podcast, sorry, a workshop, which we've, we've had Jonas on. Um, so I'm sure the listeners are aware of his work. But, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. I know you've been doing some of his work with the Crows and, and View Motion, and no doubt that'll be something we'll be talking about a little bit later on. But, uh, yeah, great workshop, wasn't it, mate? No, nah, really good, mate. He's, he's, he's good, Jonas. Great practical and theoretical as well. Like, yeah, so no, it's a good day. And for those that aren't aware of your background, Sam, I know you've been in the industry for quite some time, so no doubt the strength conditioning coaches will know of yourself. But for the athletes tuning in that haven't worked with yourself, do you mind providing a bit of a background, how you got into the industry, your passion for it, and the different work experience you've done along the way? Yeah, sure thing. So <clears throat> I went to Cardiff Meth Uni in 2007 now, studied in the SC Sports Conditioning Rehabilitation and Massage course there. It was like the second year the course was in action. So there's only about 20, 30 students on the course, which was awesome. Got some really good opportunities for work experience then. So worked at the Cardiff Blues and in the Welsh Rugby Union in some age grade roles um, as an intern while I was doing my undergrad. And then on taking up my MPhil, so I carried on and did an MPhil um, at Cardiff Met. And that time I took up a role with Welsh Juro, working as the, the head of strength and conditioning there for about 18 months. Picked up roles with Tennis Wales and their high performance network. And then transitioned fully to, that was my first sort of full-time role then, working with Welsh Rugby, heading up the North Wales Academy at RGC. Before my final role with Welsh Rugby was heading up the national age grade and development program. So working predominantly with under-18s and the 20s colleges and school systems underneath that and the kind of pathway to age grade rugby through those systems and that ran from about 2011 my MPhil to 2016 where I joined Bristol Bears so joined there in an academy and RTP role before going on to be a first team athletic performance coach down there with the Bears back to Welsh rugby briefly and then moved over to, to Adelaide to work with the Crows in 2021 
So uh, my third season at the Crows now, like really enjoying it. And yeah, that's, that's my background, really. Yeah, fantastic. Great, great background in, in terms of the rehab roles, athlete development, international club land. So be exposed to all the different different roles and, and environments there. Who have been some of your strongest sort of influences or mentors, if you like, uh, along the way that have helped shape your philosophy? Yeah, it's, uh, I've, been, I've been really fortunate. You know, um, I've worked in some really good offices under some really, really good guys. And, you know, working in national programs, you, you do get to rub shoulders with a lot of really good coaches in those positions. So I think early, early sort of career-wise, I kind of met um, Jeremy Moody was a big influence for me. So he was our sort of course director, worked in UK athletics and was probably my first exposure to, to sort of proper strength and conditioning coaching. And Rodri Williams was massive for me as well in terms of he was the guy who ran the Blues Academy, still at Welsh rugby now. And he gave me my first internship opportunity. So those guys were, were massive for me. I think you are heavily influenced by the first people you experience in in the pathway, whether it's your first coaches or you know, first guys you work with um, early doors. They do shape a lot of your philosophy stuff. And I was very lucky there. At Welsh Rugby, I, I was really lucky. Like spent time in the room with guys like Adam Beard. You know, Franz Bosch was in, in the building a lot with us working through those pathways. Bobby Stridgen was was at Welsh Rugby as well, but probably the biggest one there for me was Mark Kilgallen. So working under Mark was was awesome. He actually transitioned to AFL, so he was at the Swans for a long time after that role there. He was at the National Academy SNC, and he's currently at West Coast now. Working with Killer was great because it was his first sort of guy I, I worked with who worked in different systems and brought different things to the programs that I'd been a part of, so that was really good. And probably at Bristol, the biggest influences for me were like working with Pat Lamb, who was the head coach who came in after my first year at Bristol was really good working with a head coach who had a real clear vision as to how they wanted to play the game and, and sort of really coordinated everything from top to bottom to fit that. And he drove some huge cultural changes at the club at the time, which I've probably not seen replicated anywhere else since. So that was a really cool experience seeing that that play out as well. Probably lastly, Mark Bennett at Bristol as well was, was awesome. Probably one of the smarter guys I've ever spent time with and really well applied. And what I loved about Benny was his ability to sort of bring things back to basics and really good fundamental principles but like you know he's very sort of disciplined in his philosophy and incredibly well read and smart so he was a really good influence for me as well yeah uh, someone tuning in on youtube's just written in what made you want to work in the afl oh uh, man i'll be honest what, I, I didn't know loads about it before starting working it obviously the main exposure i had to it was through killer marco gallon i say because he obviously went on to work in in footy and kept in touch with what he was doing then. But I think the the biggest thing for me was I I felt like I was probably in a position where I'd worked in rugby for a long time and I was I was I was doing well in rugby and I felt quite comfortable in that position. And the biggest challenge for me was working in something I didn't know much about. Still high profile sport, you know, lots of pressure, lots of challenge within that. And I felt it was an awesome opportunity to try and apply my philosophy in a, in a different setting, in a different situation that I was completely unfamiliar with really and, and test that and test my test my sort of coaching the application of my philosophy into a completely different sport with different needs you know it was a really exciting challenge so it was a bit of a no-brainer really but yeah that was probably the main thing I was hoping to get out of the the changing role yep yeah ah, good question thanks for sending that through in terms of your career looking back what are some highlights that sort of spring front of mind that you're uh, most proud of yeah, the thing when, when you sent that through is actually a good one to sort of reflect back on, really, because I'm giving it a huge power to be completely honest with you. But I think, look, we've had some some really good successful outcomes. So I think one of my one of the highlights was one of the last things I did in Welsh Rugby, where we, we won a Grand Slam with the under-20 side in 2016. So won that Six Nations Championship for the first time. And like naturally in those roles, a lot of the work was done predominantly with the academies and, and the boys came to us and we sort of tried to polish them up and, and 
you know, try and, and, and develop them whilst looking to perform at the same time. Working with some of those lads were some lads that came through my earliest college and academy pathway. So it was a real nice way to see out that, that period, having lads you'd worked with for four, four or five years, seeing them transition into, you know, successful athletes, transitioning into senior rugby and, and stuff like that. That was, that was awesome. Really enjoyed that. Enjoyed all the guys I worked with. And probably, again, the whole experience at Bristol was just like awesome. You know, it was a proper, for anyone who's worked there, like it was, the club was in a pretty crazy place when we first started. There's a lot of transition up and down between the championship and premiership. And by the time we'd sort of got four or five years through that sort of rebuilding process, we were, we finished like minor premiers of the, of the, of the premiership that year, won um, the European Challenge Cup as well. So that whole process was, was, was awesome. And I think the biggest one is just probably like, even looking back at my role with Welsh Judo in 2010, you know, there's lads who you coached back then who are still good friends and training partners now. And I think the relationships you pick up along the way are probably the, the highlights in the grand scheme, not to get too um, cheesy with it, but, you know, it's a, re- it's a really fun job you get to work with and connect with a lot of people and keeping a lot of those relationships alive now is has been really, really good to see, you know, seeing guys transition into different sports and different positions. So, yeah, I think just relationships you've got along the way have probably been the biggest highlight for me. Yeah. Fantastic. And... On, on the flip side, um, what about most significant challenges that you faced and how did you sort of grow as a coach or, or yeah, what did you sort of learn from those experiences? Like, you know, come, come with elite sport, obviously there's high pressure moments and things don't always go to plan. The most significant ones are spring front of mind. Yeah, like it, like the nature of the roles are all challenging. Like, do you know what I mean? Like you, you probably spend more time in challenge than you do smooth sailing. But I think one of the best, learning experiences I had through challenge was probably my first year at Bristol we got relegated so it's you know like it's quite interesting to see you know you talk about things you learn and things go well and and, and processes that have worked but seeing that environment and and how um people behaved and responded in those times and and kind of the pressure that, that sort of brought I mean we had three head coaches in that season alone so two two changes in, in personnel and the third one finishing up yep and we and we also knew we were down probably about eight weeks left in the season so that was fascinating experience you know just in terms as well i think personally like how you carry yourself in them tougher situations as well and i think probably the big the biggest challenge for me at the moment would would, and in my career will probably be this experience now you know i think coming to a like again like i said a sport you know very little about and you know it's huge pressure to perform and and learn the sport quickly and sort of adapt things so i think this probably but i look back at my career this will probably be one of the biggest challenges i've faced i reckon yeah and that's probably a good segue the next topic which is both for helping out the additional coaches to who perhaps are listening to this and, and transitioning codes, help them, I guess, prepare a little bit for, for that change. As you said, it can be significantly challenging and now you've done it for for a couple of years. So I think that'll be really helpful for, for the industry. Sam's written in another question. What would be your advice for 15-year-old kids um, looking to uh, get into strength and conditioning? Well, in terms of practically, so I think uh, for, for young lads, and uh, again, a lot of my experience with Welsh rugby is working in that sort of population from sort of 15 to 18. The simplest answer is you can't go too far wrong with the basics. You're in an awesome opportunity where you're probably going to adapt really easily and you you can tolerate training loads quite well at, at that age. So I think um, putting some time into learning all your basic movement patterns really well, and that's not just in the gym, but certainly swatting, you know, pushing, pulling, hinging, or go to sort of bread and butter movements we've, we've got within there. But spending time jumping, spending time sprinting, spending time playing your sport. You know, I think the more experience you have athletically at your age now, the more movements you're probably going to be able to pick up and physical qualities you're going to be able to develop and hold on to. So I think exposing yourself to a broad variety of activities whilst 
pinning down some good physical fundamental qualities and probably not rushing your your, your physical development in terms of your hypertrophy and your you know kind of your gain and things like that and stuff because that will probably come naturally as you mature but if you build that good foundation those maturational developments and those developments you get as you start to head your you know 18 20 21 start to transition from a young lad into a bloke you know that that, that will only be enhanced better by building on a good foundation yeah, very good now yeah, transitioning over to the key topic I guess for for yourself, mate, it's something that you've been through, like you said, over the last three years, uh, moving countries and and moving to a code to a sport that you hadn't perhaps seen before, or, or certainly hadn't played, and and getting to understand it really quickly, like you mentioned, uh, to be able to make an impact. Uh, I guess from the strength conditioning perspective, so for coaches are listening in that are thinking to do something similar to start, what would be some of the benefits of changing codes? Do you think from a from a I guess coach's development point of view? Yeah, I, I've I've been really lucky that I worked in like high level sport across a, a load of different coats. You know, I, I when I started Welsh judo, I didn't know a thing about judo. You know, I'm not, I can't hit a tennis ball to save my life. Can't kick a footy now. So, and I think one of the one of the most beneficial things it does for you is it challenges you to adapt to what your philosophies and beliefs are to suit the environment and the situations and the constraints that are put on you within the sport. It's very easy if you spend time in one role or one light of work or one population, you can kind of get a little bit blinking and kind of think, okay, this this is what physical performance should look like, you know, athletic development should look like. And you are forced to, when you put yourself in situations where you're not comfortable, you're not familiar with the sport, you're forced to learn to how to apply that in different situations. And I think that's a really useful skill to have and it broadens your your experience. I think the other thing as well that's really beneficial is you're also forced to listen to coaches and learn the sport intrinsically and kind of be willing to say you don't know or, or, or you don't have all the answers. It's probably something that's really, really useful, you know, is ultimately our role has made the guys better at their sport. And ultimately what does make them better at their sport is is, is technical training, is, is tactical development, is, you know, and the physical programs complementing that. So being able to work with coaches and learn from coaches and try and implement that into your programming is really beneficial, I think. The other thing as well, you get exposed to different training practices, you know, so some of the some of the craft work we do in footy is very different to how we would have designed it in rugby. And if I went back into a rugby environment now, it would probably influence my practice differently. You know, working with martial artists who train their sport three times a day, huge technical requirements and sort of technical discipline as well. You know, that's a good learning curve for for, for moving into footy or rugby. You know, so I, I think I think it just broadens your coaching abilities and. If you go into it with an open mind, it will only develop you as a coach. You know, I think it's a really, really good thing to do, even if it's a part-time role or a small coaching opportunity or a consultancy sort of basis where you can work in a different environment. I think benefits are massive. And what would be your advice for, I guess, someone that is listening in that is tra- transitioning specifically like you did from rugby to AFL? Maybe not so much from the nitty-gritty strength and conditioning point of view, but just the challenges of all logistics and getting used to how things are done differently, whether it be the flow of the day, or you know, I guess just talk from your experience, what what are some of the things that the first six months can sort of catch you off guard that AFL clubs do differently to rugby and then maybe flow into how there's a lot, the, the similarities in working in team sport and, the, you know, transfer no matter what code you are. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's been vastly different to be fair. Like, it's, it's amazing how similar a lot of sports can be and, and how different practice can be. But I think also that, can be the same within codes, you know, like one of the things that was really positive for us working in the academy systems of Welsh rugby was you saw how different teams operated. You got to see inside a lot of different buildings and there were huge differences even within 
the same sports. I think it's probably worth referencing that first is there are huge rise all across it. I think the biggest thing that you've got to do early doors is respect the cultural differences quite quickly. You know, so just because it is very different to what you did in one code doesn't make it right or wrong. And I certainly didn't want to try and transplant my program from the Bears into the Crows system. And there were things that we did bring in, you know, and that was partly why you got boards of the role was to bring a little bit of variety as well. I mean, one of the biggest differences in footy to rugby, say, for instance, is in rugby, there's a, they're both sports have a big, you know, mass, strength, power demand. But the priority of that is probably slightly different across both sports. You know, rugby, you can lose a game because you're not physical enough, regardless how skillful and how good you're running this. And then footy, you can lose a game because you can't run and keep up with play well enough, regardless how physical and strong you are, you know? So, and the schedules are shifted slightly differently to reflect that, you know? In rugby, you would typically, most clubs would have breakfast, gym first, lunch, meetings and training in the afternoon, because everything is sort of geared around maintaining mass and maximizing physical development. And, you know, you see the size of those lads and it's not by mistake they are that size. There's obviously genetic genetics um, play a part in it, but their way their day is regulated and structured makes a huge influence on that as well. You know, in footy, because the running demand is so high, we typically lift after training, you know? So that influences how you should design your your program around that. I'm a big believer that your SSE program, it should obviously help and contribute to the schedule design, but ultimately you, you want to try and prioritize your sport and performance, your technical development, your, you know, your competitive training, whatever that looks like, and then build your strength and conditioning program around that to maximize and benefit those qualities rather than maximizing your SSE outputs and affecting technical training to the point where, you know, it can impact your performance on the weekend. So, you know, we, we definitely had to shift some of the sort of philosophy, practices, programming design I had at Bristol over to the crows but then back to the original point right is also you you, you see different things so i don't know when i first turned up but uh, i had the, the lads had no experience of lifting anything prior to training and and we know those are wicked windows for developing power for developing plyometric ability for developing some of those higher quality or you know higher speed you know less taxing less demand less fatiguing qualities prior to training you know priming beforehand so that was brought in and you can bring that in with confidence so I think back to your original point is there are always things you can learn from the different systems and it's just finding a way to make them fit in around what the technical demands of the sports are. Does that answer your question? Fantastic. Yeah, sure does. Yeah, that was something that I hope was was going to be my next question actually was you mentioned that from your experience of seeing how some of the tactical sides of martial arts as well as 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 football, if you work back in rugby, you look to potentially bring some of those in or open those discussions around the scheduling and yeah, conversely, what, what were some of the things he brought in from the Bears? But it sounds like that that was uh, a fair bit of it there, bringing in actually changing the culture from you know, being fearful of lifting, especially lower body weights before field, but how it, it can actually enhance and prime them. But also there's not a lot of fatigue in the system. So not only is it low risk, but also to hopefully enhances the football, the tactical side. Is there other things that you've noticed um, that, you, that you think is quite um, effective in Australian rules football that perhaps isn't come you know, commonly done in uh, Australian rules football that you'd like to bring in? Oh, in terms of things to bring into Aussie rules football from other other systems, not 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 hugely. You know, I think I think in terms of what we what we're doing at the moment, one of the one of the big differences is probably the level of um, training exposure the lads have from a resistance training point of view. You know, in a red rugby pathway, you you you're coached like pretty extensively from fifteen all the way through an academy system into the same club, you get a lot of long-term development um, in that space. 
But I think on the flip side, one thing I will probably take back to a, a rugby role, say, for instance, if I did end up in one, or something that's certainly been a really good learning for me is, geez, I think the, the volume of work that these lads can get through in, in footy and, you know, the, the volume of running and the intensity that they run at while still taking contact, while still being highly skilled, all that sort of stuff is, has been phenomenal. And it's certainly opened my eyes to the, I guess, potential capacities for, for running, for sprinting, for, you know, on-field volume you can build to if it's done in the right way. And, you know, there's certainly big learnings from that, from that sort of space for me. I think the other one as well is because the game is so attritional. I think some of the injury prevention sort of strategies and the, you know, the, the sort of like bulletproofing or however you want to sort of term it, sort of strategies we have around particularly hip and groin and, you know, calf and hamstring just from the sheer running volume has been really interesting as well. You know, get similar sort of injuries within rugby, but certainly we're, we're obviously a lot hotter on in that space, I think, in footy than we probably were in rugby. So, yeah, again, I guess it might not answer your question, but I think it's just a case of constantly sort of evolving and, and, and picking up the, the different sort of practices and, and things you see as you go along and trying to find a way to make them all fit. I think it's probably worth noting one of the things, say, for instance, with like the loaded jumping and stuff we did before training, sorry, we do before training there now, bringing that in wasn't literally, we've done it before, so we're just going to do it. You know, you still had to gain trust with the guys and you still had to build their confidence within that. So, you know, some of the power options we bought in beforehand, most of the boys like about 80% were more than comfortable to give it a will, you know, and jump on trap bars, you know, loaded squats, jumps, bounce, things like that. But for the guys that weren't, we, we had med ball options, we had body rate options or banded options and just sort of slowly chipping away at bringing in new things is a really sensible and sort of pragmatic way to do it as well. Just because you know it's theoretically right, you still have to respect the previous culture, the history and exposure the lads have had to those things. And I think that's what makes it successful when you do try and bring things in is, is bringing it at a pace that's suitable, not pushing the boat out too early and not looking for it to be technically perfect and really advanced straight away. You know, you can really build some simple processes in over time. You know, the next season you come back in, it's right, right, everyone's jumping, everyone's, you know, and it's an easy thing to bring in. What about uh, neck training in, in Australian rules football? Is that something that you've, is relatively aligned with what rugby players would do? The fact that it is collision-based and contact not as severe as obviously as rugby, but I guess that the fact that it is 360 degrees and a lot of the contact comes from particularly not knowing where, where the hits are coming from, how do you sort of tackle on next strength training for, for football players. Yeah, it's actually something we've done quite a, a lot of. I say I say a lot of it's been it's been consistent within within the program. Again, not super advanced or not super aggressive, but like very consistently factored into the the program. So yeah, we most of the lads I'd worked with hadn't had much exposure to neck strengthening beforehand. I'm certainly a, a big fan of including like a lot of our, you know, our shoulder strength, our neck strength, our our upper trap work in and around a lot of our pushing work. So we'll try in most sessions, we'll try and complement some of our pulls and pushes with kicks or some holds or falls. We've done some banded flexion extension work as well. Um, takes a bit of time for the boys to get used to it. Do you know what I mean? Again, because it is very different. I could do with my judo girl or my, my wrestlers or my MMA boys now is, is obviously, again, very different scales. But it's certainly something that's worth factoring in. And the other thing then as well that's worth bringing in, into those sorts of spaces is the better guys get at avoiding collisions or when they are um, involved in contests and making collisions, doing it technically well, winning them and doing them with efficiency. That's a huge, um, a huge benefit to preventing those type of injuries as well. You know, the more efficient and effective you are in those spaces, I think the, the less likelihood you have of, of those type of injuries. You can never prevent them all. And I think we're probably relatively naive to think that if we are doing isometrics that 
when someone gets spiked on their head or slung to the ground, we're going to make a huge impact on preventing those type of injuries. But if we could try and avoid them or, or, or try and win those situations more often than not, that's only going to help our heads, our necks, our shoulders to tolerate those type of activities, you know? And is the role of the head of strength and power different in rugby than it is Australia's football? Like, would it's one of the codes where you, or one of the clubs that you've worked in or heard of from other clubs where strength and power coach would get involved in the combat grappling, whereas maybe in other clubs or other codes, it's more just left to the coaches or perhaps a specialist grappling coach. Um, yeah, talk us through your experiences there. Yeah, it's quite it's quite funny actually because so when when I arrived at the Crows, Nick C basically uh, been in for a few days and sort of pulled me into the office and he's like, oh look, I'd like you to do our, our tackling work. You know, you've got a rugby background, you've wrestled, you know, you've probably you know so. And I was a bit like, oh, I, you know, I, I wasn't expecting that, and it's certainly not something I would have had much exposure to in rugby. You've seen good things, but you know, I basically said, oh look, as long as I'm not paying for if I'm bad at it, because you know, no promises, I'll be good at it. You know, but I think like in rugby you typically have a defence coach. So defensive systems in rugby are a lot more systematic. Defensive systems are clues in the name, but they're they're very system-based. They're very sort of disciplined and you have set roles and, and sort of protocols and you know policies that you, you have defensively. And most of that stuff would be taken care of by the technical coach. The other thing as well is, um, you know, like the level we're working at at Bristol and internationally and stuff like that, like there's not a lot of me who hasn't played at that level been teaching those lads about winning them type of collisions. No, it's not. You know, th- those guys are very, very high level. So you certainly pick up good good habits off them and you see good drills and stuff like that. But typically, uh, your, your strength coaches wouldn't deliver in that space unless they were particularly ex-players or very experienced in that space. It would predominantly be left technical coaches. But yeah, from my experience in footy, the one thing I probably have noticed is, or maybe it's just our group because we had a young group when we started out, but the level of technical ability in that space was relatively low to start off with. Boys were absolutely mad keen to stick a hit on someone and it was nothing to do with their sort of desire to hit people and, and collide with bodies, but there's very little process there. So we initially sort of looked dominantly at our, our footwork and, our, and the way we enter into contest. So we're giving ourselves the option to try and have tackle selection opportunities and the guys are starting to get their heads around that a little bit, which is good. But also, like I say, just just being effective tacklers, just putting your head in the right place, your hands in the right place, you know, aligning your hips and your head and your hands with, with your posture and then trying to be more effective in that space. So we've had some good progress in, in that space now. If I look back to where we were when we first started versus where we are now, I'm pretty happy with the progress the lads have made. But again, that goes back to, it's been a really, like, uh, a really cool experience trying to learn to apply some of your, your physical and athletic movements into you know, an on-field on live contest situation and trying to get the transfer of those qualities, you know, it's been a really good challenge. Um, yeah, that's interesting that you've had that experience. Like you said, not all strength and power coaches would be exposed where the head coach brings them into the office and, and sets them that task, but um sounds like you embraced it and it's great to see the boys have developed quite well over the last few years with it. Have you found by being in that position that it's influenced maybe some trunk exercises, rotational power exercises that you're working in really close with the athletes where it's influenced your exercise prescription in the gym or is it more are there two separate things uh, in your mind pulling in from drills on the field efficiency and then the strength and power is more global yeah I think it, it probably comes down to the way your philosophy sits really like I'm I'm a big believer in you know we use a gym space to develop our most general physical quality so our ability to produce force our ability to be reactive to, to produce power to you know be strong, be resilient. But I, I really am a huge believer in if we want to try and get technical transfer 
um, from those physical qualities. You have to expose them in the in the constraints of the game, whether that's rugby, whether that's um, footy, wrestling, whatever it is. You know, we've seen plenty of lads who can produce huge numbers in the gym that don't transfer that super well in the field. And, and likewise, we, we all know guys who are awesome in life situations don't produce great numbers in the gym. So that's not to say that they're mutually exclusive, but it's just respecting the fact that there are huge like technical, tactical, situational constraints in how you can apply your, your physical qualities during game. You know, I think most of our gym work in, in my eyes is very, very general. And, and you know, we, we still want to produce big numbers. We still want guys to be able to produce all those qualities by giving them an opportunity to express those qualities under the constraints of the game. That's probably where we get our, our transfer. So to answer your question, there's probably not super situation-specific strength drills, special exercises I'd bring in in the gym, unless your general levels is awesome, you know, and, and it's pretty much a case of sort of cherry on top type qualities and keeping you fresh. And that doesn't mean we don't do those type of exercises, but they're done possibly in deloads, possibly in periods of the season where sort of training volume is huge and we're sort of just trying to keep our, our, our good athletes fresh. But yeah, I, I tend to try and keep the two separate but make sure we get opportunities to express physical qualities on the field. And I guess that's where I'm quite lucky because, you know, I get an opportunity to influence the speed program. I can design some drills in training to the points last season, last preseason, I had 40 minutes of on-field training time, including speed and our contest drills. So you can really start to try and enhance your transfer of your, your general physical qualities into situations on field then. And that's a really important part of improving athletic performance, I think, sometimes coaches don't get the opportunity to or they miss miss the opportunity to you know yeah fantastic and the um well said mate that and what about priming where where's your stance on that it seems like um yeah rugby does it quite well or, or it's certainly valued in the rugby circles with the with the nature of the sport like you mentioned football's a little bit different it's a bit more endurance based what's your stance on priming is it something that you do with the crows and do you do it differently with exercise prescription or different intensities with footballers compared to rugby players or, or is it or is it sort of similar yeah, I, I personally, I'm a big believer in in priming sessions. I think for two reasons: one, there's a lot of evidence to support they work, and two, it's another opportunity to develop a stimulus in your training week when you're fresh, when you're not fatigued, that you may not get earlier on in the week, particularly in sports like footy and, and rugby. You know, the boys are absolutely like buggered still by you know Monday, Tuesday. You know, so you lose a lot of your week recovering from the stimulus of the game. So any opportunity you can get a high quality stimulus in, I like that. One thing we used to do quite well in rugby was our team runs and our captain's runs. We'd used to get the guys to do speed and sprint as part of those as a primer the day before game. But I've also been at clubs that haven't done that and both been successful, so it's not like a, a must-have. I think one thing that's really important to consider with primers is they the athlete has to believe that they're going to make a difference for them and the athlete has to like the options that are available to them. So I think... Getting athletes to try things is difficult, particularly close to important games and doing things that are over their routine. So doing it at the right time of the year, pre-season games or trial games or, you know, up when you've got opportunities to do different things, I think it's worth exploring. But if someone hates that type of activity and they want to stay super low key, I think you respect that. Do you know what I mean? And and it probably comes down to who you're working with and their experience. If it's a young lad, if it's a first year draftee or, you know, a second year fella versus a 15, 17 year fella. You're probably going to treat them both a little bit differently, but I think having an opportunity to try all those things is really beneficial. And it could be as simple as, I mean, when we were at World Cups with the other 20 sides, we played a game every five days for, for 
three games in a row, so a really dense competition period. And as daft as it sounds, it could be something as simple as doing some heavy hammer curls and a, and a couple of band pull downs and you get a bit of a pump on and you walk out and you feel that you look good. Like that can do as much mentally for a lad as a really theoretically sound, you know, priming session. So yeah, big, big fan of them. But I think probably without sitting on the fence, it completely depends on your population, who you're working with and, and what they like. But I certainly think trialing them is a good thing to do. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And for coaches listening in that um, perhaps haven't used them before or maybe have used them in rugby but haven't used them with Australian rules football, as you mentioned, the individual aspect and using perhaps main training sessions and practice matches to expose the athlete and get their feedback and refine it. But what are some common mistakes or, or perhaps areas that people can um, want to get right at the start to get that ultimate buy-in effective prime? Good question. I think no, it's, it's a good question. Again, it probably... Probably not like a right or wrong, but it probably comes down to again like who you're working with and, and and their experience. I know we've had some lads who have liked hitting heavy squats day game, you know, day before game, like hitting a heavy squat. And I think if you recommend that some of the footy boys, they they'd laugh your head off. Like, do you know what I mean? So I think again, it comes back down to yeah. come back comes all the way back down to I, I guess probably the biggest mistake you can make is probably starting simple. So start start very very simple and broaden as you go along and and find what works and also. Probably the biggest mistake you can make is just not listening to fellas and, and going, but I know this works, so you want me to do it. When a bloke is telling you adamantly it doesn't make him feel good, you know, I think I think that's probably what it would most likely come down to is just probably not respecting individual differences within the athletes and stuff. And again, culturally, you know, I, I've, I've, I've thought about and, and considered trying to bring in some speed primers to our captains run and it, and it hasn't gone down particularly well. In, 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 that, in that case, I've just parked it. You know, I've not persisted with it. You know what I mean? And we've sort of slowly worked with fellas individually who like that sort of stuff. But I think it's probably a case of maybe, yeah, not having the, not having the humility or, or, or the sensibility to just park it if it's not going that well. You know, I think that's probably something that's quite, quite important, I guess. Yeah. 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 And going back to sort of the speed aspect that you mentioned, that's something that you lead. Is it something that once you've got the fundamentals in terms of movement mechanics down pat, do you sort of look at speed development different with the demands of the game or or is it similar to rugby? I guess if you're breaking it from a max velocity point of view, then also the acceleration, yeah, from a from a training prescription point of view, are you drill similar, like Jonas sort of mentioned in the workshop, you know, everyone's got two legs, two arms, doesn't matter what. There's a lot of the the sort of the basics are the same. Is that something that you share? But I guess from a, once you've got the basics going with a player what are some things that you sort of look to to do differently with an Australian football that you might not do with a rugby athlete? Yeah, I think it's probably a, a couple of parts in the answers to this, but one thing that comes within team sports is you, your speed exposure and your speed program is heavily determined by your schedule and the time you get to spend on it. So ultimately that will probably determine what you can and can't do within that. And yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big believer in working on, again, it probably goes back to similar to my my weight room example you know working on general qualities first acceleration ticking off max velocity making sure we run well upright making sure we, we can switch our legs we're stiff we're bouncy we move well and in a team sport scenario guys who are good at that and guys who are poor at that working on the same drill can still develop those qualities quite well i i think and i think the most important thing to factor into that is to make sure there are opportunities to express those qualities in the context of the, of the game goes back to again that that idea of transfer for me so one thing i'll always try and do in my speed programs is you know if we're working on an acceleration focus day you know so we tend to sort of work our accent called 
together and then we work our upgrade running on um, on a separate day that just fits in within our schedule we've been doing some acceleration and decel drills i'll make sure we try and get a technical drill or craft skill or something that challenges those qualities in in the context of the game it could be simple as if you're doing your accelerations you know we do some some ground ball work afterwards but if we're talking about you know during our acceleration session if we're talking about how we orient ourselves forward and how we you know attack the ground and punch punch out and try and cover ground in a few steps if we spend five or ten minutes working on a little bit of that quality and then we take that into a handball drill whereas right right as soon as you get it back and try and find your angle try and stamp your legs try and you know, drive out a contest and that's where I think there's probably a little bit of a cognitive benefit to, to the athletes where they're going, ah, shit, okay, this is why we're doing these band marches. This is why we're doing these prowler walks. This is why we're doing our switching drills or about whatever, whatever it sort of is. There's an understanding that's going to benefit a skill component in their game and they get an opportunity to try and do those skills with the technical underpinning as a, as a part of it. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge believer in that. I think it, I think it's really important. So like, again, for instance, on our, on our COD and Excel days, and normally when I get some like contest drills, so, you know, we'll do very basic cutting, you know, 45 degree cuts, 90s, Maxell, paddling your feet, like really like gen- very basic drills, you know, because again, you've got 45 athletes, you're normally working for a 10, 15 minute window. So it's hard to do genuine, genuine speed, like a speed session in a football or rugby program, you know, so little doses of, of those type of qualities but then making sure we get an opportunity to try and transfer it that's that's where i think sort of the sweet spot sits and that's just that's just my personal opinion on it we also one thing um we're, we're good for at the crows is we, we get an opportunity to try and sprint every every sort of main session which most clubs obviously do now from like a hamstring health point of view and speed exposure so you know we'll, we'll get the lads above 90 percent ideally 95 if we can and they're up to it um, at least once a week and we give them opportunities to sprint and stride but one thing again going back to your original questions about transfer from sport to sport and how it might look different one thing i've taken on board this year now is and it was a good learning for me was the rug, rug, i think rugby is quite good for developing speed i think a lot of the athletes get behind it and there's a genuine good understanding that it benefits them but in rugby a lot of players and your outside backs they can sprint without needing to stop at the end they either get tackled or even when they score, they can sprint and dive. Do you know what I mean? It's not, they haven't got a bounce ball. They haven't got a kick at the end. They haven't got a, you know, I think in footy, you're always running under massive fatigue constraints in game. And even when you're sprinting and opening up, you still got to, you still got to bounce. You still got to kick. You still got to execute a skill at the end of those sprinting efforts. So most of your sprinting comes in transition and, you know, typically, you know, leading or, or, or transitioning from attack and defense and, and trying to work to a good, a good field position. So, a lot of our speed development work because we haven't got a lot of time for it is focusing on COD, Axel, D-Cell, where a majority of the, of the game lives for a lot of these guys. And that's not to say it's not a fit to, to run up right better and have better running economy. But I found that the lads have taken to that part of the speed programming better than the upright stuff because they feel it more often in game, you know, and they're more they're more familiar with those those actions and those movements and you know, when they're, when they're sprinting and running on the river, they don't feel like they can, they're, they're ever running bouncy and they have a good front side and, you know, all, all the sorts of things we look for from good upright running, they express a little bit less. So that doesn't mean we don't work on them, but it probably means we put more of our weight into that that part of the program and right or wrongly going right for us. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for that. That's a great answer, really great detail and um, provides good context in why you do what you do and, and, what you know the the balance between i guess 
involving the athlete throughout the whole process as well. Uh, clearly, it's something you value, and I think that's a good takeaway for, for coaches to listen into. Uh, final question on the topic, and then we'll start to wrap it up, mate. Uh, in terms of the strength and power aspect of the role, how do you sort of incorporate like player-specific demands and the individualization, if you like? Uh, obviously, managing you know large squad number of forty to forty-five athletes. Yeah, talk us talk us your sort of stance or philosophy on that. Yeah, I think so. In, in order to do that, you need a good sort of profile battery as, as a first point of call, and it's something I'm I'm always pretty pretty keen to bring in wherever I've worked and wherever I, I do work. You know, I think if you're not if you if you're not tracking your general physical qualities, it's difficult to determine where you want to place your effort and your time in the gym. And it, it's not like a comprehensive battery, but you know, you're talking some max strength stuff, some jumping options, you know some isometric strength and then then you're talking things like your dexas your yeah we we, we run a one for four one k's the crows would be your conditioning um conditioning results your, your speed work and then pretty much from there the way i tend to operate in a team sport environment because you're always strapped for resource coaching wise i mean rugby again differences we, we would have had about five or six strength coaches on the floor with our squad of about 40 guys in rugby we had two for the last two years before that but again you're talking bigger player numbers less sort of coaching eyes on hands on so I think in a team sport environment, you need to have a general sort of training, strength training template that allows you to operate efficiently with lots of bodies in the gym. You know, so you can't have a completely individualized tailored program for every single person. And it's a bit like herding cats and you, you, you haven't got like a sort of common theme with the guys. But what we will try and do is based on that profiling is we will shift some of the guys work to be more heavily focused in different areas, right? So if we, we've got a guy, say say it's our forward line working and we've got a, a key forward who needs to put on a little bit more size, we've got a, a, a big, strong, powerful fella up front and we've got a really small, fast, nippy guy, they might do the same type of exercises in the t- same sort of session design. The first lad's weight of this program would be 80% towards strength and muscle mass gain. You know, the fella in the middle might be a little bit more sort of contrasty. And the fella who's a, who's a jet running around like a little racing snake, he might have a bit more time spent on some of the, um, you know, a, a general strength, like low level strength dose and some more sort of sharp, high quality work that suits him. So we tend to split our guys into three or four different themes, really. But at Crows, we've got like a strength power group. We've got a hypertrophy strength group, a development group who are, are probably more long-term development or technical development. So we're still sort of building up their, their foundations. And then we've got an individual group, which the fellas are probably slightly different from everyone or you know have different injury history different different needs and then they sort of get a more bespoke content but yeah it, it certainly again it goes back to for me is your is your gym work specific or is it general for, for me it's general so we, we look at what qualities does that guy need to develop to enhance their specific outputs on, on the field and then we try and complement it within that you know there's probably there probably is a lot more individualization that goes on from like an exercise selection point of view so, you know, if a guy is a good squatter, he'll squat, you know, some guys don't take to squatting well, but they trap bar really well. So, you know, that influences what power options they do. So most of our squatters, if they're doing power, they'll, they'll load a squat jump or they'll do squat pattern type plyo activities and that stream will follow them through a lot of their programming. If one of our guys is a trap bar, they might trap bar jump, but then we still might need to get some good hip flexion working for them because it's a, a hinge movement. So their single leg work will probably be, be predominantly more sort of hip focused so i'm probably jumping around a little bit there but that's how we sort of go about individualizing our programming for what is a team sport and 
It's a very, it's a real difficult one because if you go to generally put everyone on the same thing, you're probably not doing the athletes the service they deserve. And if you are too microscopic and detailed and, and not narrow-minded, but you know, blinkered with your, your, your programming, you probably lose sight of the benefits of having the whole group working together. So I think that's just sort of yeah, the yeah. time. I'm not saying it's right, but that's how I, 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 I sort of go about it. It means the boys can train together while focuses and you sort of get the best of both, I think, in that, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's such a fine line, like you mentioned, and there's value in in individualization. But I think that, like you said, that it is a general quality that you're working on. So the power of working in a group, and certainly from an intent point of view, you can tell the ones that are competitive and like to train with others. That collectiveness is is a good thing for the for the weight room. Fantastic, mate. Well, I think we've nailed that topic. And anyone, both from athlete point of view, that wanted to understand the different code. We'll get a better understanding, but more importantly for the, for the coaches as well that um, might want to transition or, or perhaps were closed-minded and thought they just wanted to stay in the one sport. Certainly, they'll be a little bit more open-minded now in the value of, of changing codes and the development you can have, but also a more well-rounded coach by the sounds of things. For the last couple of questions, more from the personal side of things, mate, work-life pet peeves, do you have any? Anything that sort of fires you up yeah, from a professional point of view, like weight, weights left out or, or from an industry perspective, things that happen you see on social media <laughs> feel free to rant oh, if there is anything I, I i i think i'm quite late back generally but i'm sure even some fellows would disagree but no i think like in, in terms of pet peeves like professionally i think one thing that was really good and strong and i, I thought was awesome when i said about like the culture shifts that we had at the bears and things like that I, I find people are quite happy to to complain or challenge things or, or sort of be express dissatisfaction with things in isolation but very rarely have that conversation with with the person or the group of people that are sort of are doing that, and it's always a difficult conversation. But I, I think one thing we we bought in was almost this like no soft ears policy, which I, I talk about a lot. And you know, it was a case of you hear people because like it's a big it's a our, our organizations and our our sort of departments and you know the the scope that we work in is massively broad, loads of different personalities, loads of different silos, low you know, and it's like it's very easy to not have those conversations and. More often than not, people are quite open to them. You know, I think if you can challenge things face on, but also be challengeable, I think that's really, really useful. And it, and look, I certainly don't always get that right. And then you know, but I think if you if you are in an environment where people do embrace honest challenge and and sort of healthy debate and things like that, it can only benefit your environment. And that comes from players as well. You know, like I would rather a player tell me they're unhappy with something or you know challenge me on something. And say nothing and then go complain about it later on and then you find out six months later and it's something you could have put to bed really early so i think that's just a really healthy good place to be a little silly one but one that i'm always quite adamant on i think as well is i hate it if my athletes have all all their plyo work and all their jumping work has always been done with hands on hips and they just don't know how to use their arms when they're jumping i think it's probably one of the biggest misses um a lot of, of programs run particularly for us like a lot of our jump monitoring is sometimes our only stimulus for jumping and you know, quite often we'll say, oh yeah, he's just gone better because he's learned to use his arms better and his, his techniques changed. And But we never complain when someone cleans more because their techniques changed or because, you know, they kick a ball straight because their drops different. You know what I mean? It's like, it's one of those things where I think it's a it's a skill and, you know, I, I just I just get shame when you've got lads who come to do an activity or plyo and they, they literally, their arms make them worse, you know? So I'm, I'm always quite keen on trying to keep that into program as much as possible. Again, probably... I, I, there's a load of guys who are probably smarter than me who can tell me why it's wrong, but I just think it's an important thing to to do. But outside of that, no, I think I'm I'm, I'm pretty laid back. I think all the standard gripes, you know, people leaving the gym and shit space and stuff like that's 
always always going to wind you up. But no, I think I think those are probably be, be be two for me really, but nothing nothing super serious. I think I think the 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 honesty and the and the, and the sort of having hard conversation ones is is, is good because everyone says they want it until they get it typically. And if you can get yourself within in the right sort of frame of mind and character to embrace it coming at you and also be comfortable giving it back, I think you, that's when like departments, teams, whatever it is, training groups go from you know good to great because when they can have that level of honesty, you know, hundred percent. Appreciate appreciate that answer. That's fantastic. And what about the favorite way to spend a day off, mate? It's putting the feet up. To be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm very very low key. I enjoy my I, I train my jujitsu and my, my grappling and stuff, so I normally try and get a bit of that in when I can. Adelaide's an awesome place to live. Like it's such a cool city and state with so much to get out and do. So I've got the dog down there. He's asleep next to us there now. We get out, try and take him down to a beach somewhere, or just very very low key. To be fair, nothing too nothing too crazy. I can put on a live live stream anyway. The the rest obviously we're recording this interview in, in late November. What's on, what's the rest of the year like for you, and what are you most excited for for two thousand twenty four? I mean, it, it's 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 weird November being hot. You know, what I mean December being hot. So like typically pre season for us start it in sort of June sort of time, and normally you'd have games all through Christmas period. So you play Boxing Day, you play New Year's Day, New Year's Eve. So we actually get a good bit of time off over, over Christmas over here, which is nice. But to be honest, mate, it would just be it'd just be getting head down and, and cracking on the work. Excuse me, I'm quite excited for the year we've got ahead with the lads. The boys have come back in in a really good place so far. So we started pre-season this week. So we're three days in, looking in a really good space. And, you know, we had, we've had we had a good couple of years development and we're probably open to go another, another step further again this year now internally. So just looking forward to the challenges that brings, to be honest. You know, I don't tend to look too far ahead and just sort of take things months at a time. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm like uh, that's why I'm in Australia. That's why I'm here. Like, as I'm, I'm, I'm here for the for the job and the role and the opportunity and stuff. So, you know, that's probably what I've got to look forward to most. You know, I'll try and get a race somewhere at some point, but I'm pretty sort of focused on the year ahead. Really looking forward to that. So, yeah, well, thank you for providing us a great insight and what it's like to change codes, the the challenges that come a coach's way, but also the the value in in taking on that challenge and getting out of your comfort zone. Thought you should really shared a great insight and both provide value for, for the coaches listening in as well as the athletes. So clearly making a big impact at the Crows. They're fun fun team to watch play and the the fact that you're working on the speed, their contest, and then of course the their head guy in their gym program. Yeah, clearly doing great things there. So they're lucky lucky to have you. Thank you for everyone that's tuned in live. If you tuned in halfway through, make sure to listen to the very start. Sam dropped gems from the from the very second, so make sure to tune in. You can watch this on our YouTube channel. Our next live chat is next Thursday. I'll be presenting everything you need to know when it comes to mastering periodization, the complex and linear approaches for Australian rules football. So tune in there. That'll be 4.30 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time, Thursday, the 7th of December. So thanks again, Sam. Really appreciate it, mate. And um, looking forward to catching you throughout the season. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content, such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is... Um... It'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me 
fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game game changes whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes. And, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the strength conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So. I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful. Plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my my question to you was: you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an S&C coach, you know, if something's you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single minded back then and um, you know thought there was one way of doing things and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of you know asking a silly question or fear of judgment it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker um and yeah. and yeah like just yeah being open to sort of different things um because you never know what you might find it's just yeah there's so many people like great people out there knowledgeable people to learn off and there's plenty more where that came from if you would like to learn more then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest, 
or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.